0: text Leviticus 19 again uh, just specifically uh, those first few verses that Andrew read just a moment ago when you reap the harvest of your land you shall not reap your field right up to its edge neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest and you shall not strip your vineyard bare neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner I am the Lord your God we can see here in Leviticus that God's instruction to the people of Israel was not to consume everything for themselves, but to leave some for others. And of course, as we fast forward to the first century church, the New Testament church who, who lived in light of the gospel of grace, the good news of Jesus Christ, we can see that there wasn't a needy person among the first century church. For as anyone had need, they gave to help meet that need. Yes, the church was a a very generous body. In fact, that was a big part of their witness was their generosity to help meet the needs of others. One of the reasons I'm really excited about our Grow campaign is this is an opportunity for us to, well, to to be generous. To to model the generosity of our God who, who gave us his only son. There is no greater gift than the great gift of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you've been with us, you know that uh, over the last few weeks, we've had this Grow Cross Generations booklet handed out. If you didn't get one, I would encourage you to pick one up in the narthex right after the service. Uh, but you may have noticed that this morning, uh, we actually have a uh, pledge card. Now, we're not asking you to, to pledge today. We're asking you to start praying about what you will pledge in two weeks on Palm Sunday, April 14th. That would be our church-wide commitment Sunday. Because we believe this, this journey is, is a journey that our entire church should go on together. And it's been really exciting over the last few months as as people have caught a vision of this campaign about how we're trying to build a new youth house to help reach the youth. We have an old dilapidated house that's too small to to reach the number of kids who are coming. we're going to build a new uh, improved youth house that looks very similar to the one we have. It has that fraternity house look, which is easy for a D church or an unchurched kid to walk into for the first time versus our beautiful neo-Gothic style architecture, which can be a little intimidating if you didn't grow up in the church. We were building that, and of course, we're, we're making our children's wing more, more uh, secure, and uh, going to have preschool play space, indoor play space, and a larger expanded playground. That's a great. One thing I know we're all going to benefit, maybe not today, but someday, we're all going to benefit from the, the new ramps and the new handicap accessibility. We're all going to be glad that that has been put in, but this is something for all generations, and as people have caught the vision of this campaign, it's been exciting to see the response. In fact, uh, several of our leaders, our elders, our deacons, uh, some of our trustees, Uh, Our staff have already made a pledge to the campaign. As they've heard this opportunity they've given, and they've uh, given generously, and and in many cases, sacrificially. And so, to date, we already have over 3.7 million pledged to this campaign. You should have clapped for that. That's a pretty good number. (laughs) Thanks be to God. I know as Presbyterians, we don't clap a lot, but sometimes we're just going to say, Thank you, Lord Jesus. That's awesome. We're two-thirds of the way there. Our leaders have met and they've prayed about it and they said, hey, this is what I think God's calling me to give. And it's been interesting as I've had conversations, several one-on-one conversations with different families, I've, I've heard different testimonies and, you know, we can give out of reason or we can give out of revelation. Now, the difference is I give out of reason, you know, I just look at, well, what do you need? And I just think what the immediate number that comes to mind and I just put that down. But to give out of revelation is actually to take some intentional time praying, asking God, God, what do you want me to give? And gratitude for all that you've done for me. How do you want me to invest in the next generation for the kingdom of Christ? Because this campaign is not just about my children or your children. It's about the children who are not yet born. It's about the children who are going to come and and get to use this facility to get to hear the good news of God's love in Jesus Christ. It's about the the children who are going to come to faith in Christ because of the investment we make today. In June, we had 48 children pray to receive Christ for the first time through our Vacation Bible School. It's about creating space where more of that can happen. We've had young people, our youth, come to faith in Christ. It's about creating more space so that they can continue to come to faith in Christ. It's about making an eternal investment in the kingdom of God. And to know what that number is for you, we've, we've put a little chart here. You may notice at your pledge card. We need giving it at every single level in order to reach our goal of 5.5 million. We have 3.7 in pledges. We're two-thirds of the way there. We need $1.8 million. It requires everyone to do their part And I don't know what that part is for you, but God does. If you spend enough time talking to God, God's going to tell you. It's been interesting my own journey with my wife, Sarah. We've known about this for a long time. And so initially we had a number in mind, and so we talked about that. But then as we began to pray, I love what Joe Morris uh, said. We should be praying and fasting about this decision. As we began to pray and even fast about this decision. And if you're not used to fasting, a real easy way to fast, to do a 24-hour fast, is is to eat a really big lunch, skip dinner, skip breakfast, and then have another lunch to end your fast. And during that time when you normally eat food, pray, read God's word, feast on the word of God. And so as we've spent some time praying and fasting and thinking about the number God wants us to give, that, that number has grown. It's been amazing. In fact, we have now have the sense that God's calling us to give three times more than we've ever given to a capital campaign before. Because we believe so much in what God's going to do in and through this campaign to reach that next generation for the kingdom of Christ. And I've had great one-on-one conversations with different families. I've heard about people who want to give in such a way that it, that it requires sacrifice. You see, when you give out a reason, it doesn't necessarily give, require sacrifice. When you give out a revelation, well, often that requires sacrifice. And when we make that sacrifice, that's when transformation tends to happen. I've, I've talked to a couple who, who realized that you know, they had plans and intentions to buy a new car. They've got a car from 2007. They wanted to upgrade that, their family uh, uh, mobile for that and this year. But they said, you know, as we prayed about it, we realized... We're not going to do that. We're going to keep that car for, for another year. We're going to hold off on buying a new car. Talked to another couple who had been trying to pay off their house in advance. And so they've been making mortgage payments early to try and get their house paid off. But as they, as they prayed about it, they, they, they heard God tell them that, it, well, that God wanted them to build his house before they finished their own house. And so they're going to go back to just making the normal required payments and, and take that extra money and give it to this campaign. I talked to a widow who amazing t- testimony. She and her husband, many years ago made an IRA. It's a, it's a retirement account. You know, you, you put money in an IRA before you retire and you don't have to pay taxes on You get a tax break for that purpose. But then when you draw the money out, you know, you normally have to pay taxes on that. Well, this couple had a vision of creating an IRA with the purpose of giving all of it away. And so as they prayed about it, and as she thought about what God's calling her to give, she's going to give all of it. She's going to give $100,000 to us, which is amazing for this campaign. And she's not going to have to pay taxes on any of that because that's kind of how it works, right? Like if you donate all of it directly to the church, you never have to pay taxes on it. It's amazing. And she's prayed about it. She realized that's what God's impressed on her heart. So we want to make sure you have plenty of time the next two weeks to pray about what God's calling you to give. Because this is going to require all of us to do our part. Everyone has a role to play in order for us to reach our goal. And, of course, there's two goals for this campaign. One is the $5.5 million financial goal. But the the other goal, which is actually even more important, is 100% participation. We all have a role to play in helping reach the next generation for the kingdom of Christ. So I would encourage you to begin to pray and fast about what God is calling you to give. Because we want to be a church that continues to to reach that next generation. We can see that the millennials have left the church, and we don't want that to happen to Generation Z. So we've got to pray about how can we, as a church, reach the next generation? How can we be a church that's committed to making disciples all the time, among every generation? To find out how we can do that well, I would encourage you to turn to your Matthew 22, Matthew chapter 22, uh, it may be found on a page, let's see what page that's on, Matthew 22, page 1052 of your Red Pew Bible, Matthew 22, verse 34 to 40. Before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you inspired Matthew to put pen to paper so that we might have your word today. Lord, as we read your word, we pray that you might speak to us, that we might hear from you, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. One other thing I forgot to tell you, uh, if you have any questions about the Grow campaign, you can go to our webpage, go to the Grow webpage, and actually April 7th, which is next Sunday, after this service in the parlor at twelve fifteen. We're going to have a Q&A session. We will exhaust any question you have. We already have on our webpage a frequently asked question tab. You can hit and see what other questions people have already asked. But if you have any questions about this campaign, as you prayerfully consider what God is calling you to give, we're going to have a Q&A session. Where we're going to answer and take as much time as it takes to answer any questions you might have, any outstanding questions about the campaign. So next Sunday after church uh, at 1215. Listen again to, to God's word, Matthew 22, 34 to 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Here the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, this is kind of an interesting question for a Pharisee to ask. Because Pharisees believed that all the commandments were equally important. In fact, there, did you know there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. That's a lot of commandments. Yeah. I am really grateful Jesus narrowed it down to two for us. That's, uh, that's very helpful. Of course, Jesus responds to this test because what the Pharisee wants to see is, well, Jesus, are you going to affirm all of the law? Or are you just going to pick and choose what's most important? Well, Jesus wisely responds by quoting the most recited commandment in all of the law. In fact, it would be said twice a day in ancient Israel and Jews still say today as a part of their worship in their synagogues, It's called the Shema, Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 to 5, where we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Notice that when Jesus quotes the Shema in Matthew 22, he says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Not might, but rather your mind. Jesus knows that it's our mind that often directs our will, and so we need to focus on loving God with all of our mind, not just our strength. It's the Shema in Deuteronomy does not mention the mind, and most scholars point out that what Jesus is really trying to say here is that with all that you are, you should love God. With all that you are, all of the time. Then Jesus quotes Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, which Andrew read just a moment ago, in verse 39 to 40 of our text, when he says, And the second is like this." You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So I'm grateful that Jesus has taken the 613 commandments and he's narrowed it down to just two to remember. But I'm not sure he's made it any easier. Here's what I mean. You see, it's true that by telling us that the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love our neighbor, it does make it easier for us to focus and And to remember which commandments, rather than trying to learn all 613 commandments. And it is true that if we follow these two commandments, we will, in fact, fulfill all of the rest of the law. Let's take the Ten Commandments, for instance. If you love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, then you will naturally abide by the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. We will not follow any other false gods. We won't make any idols. We won't use the Lord's name in vain. And we will, in fact, honor the Sabbath. Because when you love God, you naturally do those four things. And if we love our neighbor as ourselves, then we will naturally do the remaining six commandments. We will honor our mother and father. We will not murder. We will not commit adultery. We will not steal. We will not bear a false witness against our neighbor. We will not covet our neighbor's things because we'll love our neighbor and we'll be grateful that they have what they have. If we can simply follow these two commandments, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves, well, then we'll abide by all the commandments. So how are we doing How are we at abiding by all the commandments? It's true that many of us can look at the Ten Commandments and go, yeah, I I do most of those. I I don't have a problem with stealing or or murder. I don't lie. I don't commit adultery. And we can begin to feel pretty self-righteous and feel pretty good about ourselves. And that's how the Pharisees felt in the first century. They were experts in the Ten Commandments. And they said, man, I'm I'm really good at those Ten Commandments. I don't have a problem with, with any one of them. But then Jesus it helps us see that the most important is to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's actually a little bit harder. Because you see, Pharisees may think, well, I love my neighbor. But what they really meant is they loved their Jewish neighbor. They didn't love their Samaritan neighbors. They didn't love their Gentile neighbors. In fact, they worked very hard to remain separate from the Samaritans and the Gentiles or the non-Jews. But as we look at the teachings of Jesus, we can see that he tells us our neighbor according to the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan story, is whoever has need, that's our neighbor. Regardless of, of race, socioeconomic status, or religion, our neighbor is that person who has need. That's who we're called to love. And Jesus goes on to tell us you know, in the Sermon on the Mount that well, not only are we to, to love, our, uh, love our neighbor, but we're called to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So how are we doing? Do we love God with all of our heart mind, soul, and strength all the time? Do we love our neighbor as ourselves all the time? While these two commandments of loving God and loving our neighbor may simplify our <coughs> approach the law of God, it really doesn't make it any easier. In fact, Martin Luther and John Calvin, to the fathers of the Reformation, pointed out that by lifting up these two commandments, it actually helps us see our need for God's grace. It helps us see that we're all sinners who, who fall short of God's glory. You see, we can look at the Ten Commandments and say, well, I don't commit any of those commandments, but when we talk about loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves, well, now there's sins of omission. Anytime we fail to love God with all that we are, anytime we fail to love our neighbor as ourselves, we're guilty of falling short of doing what Christ has commanded us to do. And a lot didn't really get any easier. It just got more simple and more clarifying that we need God's help. So what are we to do? How are we to live? Notice where Jesus is when he he gives this uh, proclamation of what the two most important commandments are. Jesus is in Jerusalem. Specifically, he's in the temple. And this is just a few days before he is going to be crucified himself. Jesus is basically helping everyone see their need for the cross of Christ. Jesus is communicating that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbors, yourself. And as people really meditate on what that means, they realize, "Wow, I can't do that. I'm going to need some help. I'm going to need a Savior. You see, only Jesus was able to love God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength all the time. Only Jesus was able to love his neighbor as, as himself by, by doing for his neighbor what they couldn't do for himself by putting the needs of his neighbor before himself when he, he made the decision to abide by his heavenly father's will and die on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Yes, these two commandments <clears throat> help us see our need for God's grace. And to grow more in love with God and in order to grow more in love with our neighbor, we have to remain ever mindful of all that Jesus has already done for us at the cross of Christ. I believe Jesus adds the bit about loving God with your mind because as we, remind, we remain mindful of what all that God has done for us, we become more grateful and therefore more loving. Loving to God and loving to our neighbor. As the Apostle Paul reminds the church in Philippi: whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is just, think on these things. He said, if we want to grow more in love with God and more in love with our neighbor, we have to be ever mindful of all that Jesus has already done for us. We have to be ever mindful of just how much God loves us. As John the Apostle writes in his epistle, in 1 John 4, verse 10 to 11, he, he writes, "...and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or atoning sacrifice for our sins." Beloved, if God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. We love God because God first loved us. It's a a reciprocal relationship. When we realize and understand just how much God loves us, that he would send his son to die for us, we can't help but naturally love God back. And as we love God, we begin to love what God loves. And as we look at the scriptures, we can see what God loves the most is us. For we are the crown of his creation. In Genesis chapter 1, we read the story of creation. When God speaks and, and creates, he says it's good. But when he, when he creates us on the sixth day, he says it is very good. For we were created in the very image of God. God loves us unconditionally, sacrificially, every single one of us. It's so when you love someone deeply, you begin to love what they love. Minds reminds me of uh, my journey with ballet. Growing up as a kid in Midland, I didn't really like ballet. I was forced to go to the Nutcracker 12 years in a row to watch my sister <laughs> dance in the Nutcracker. I grew a resentment against ballet. I don't really like ballet. But when my daughters started to take ballet, well, then we all loved ballet. <laughs> I went to every recital and cheered them on and brought flowers. And one year, while my daughters were in their ballet phase, uh, my wife had the great idea that we should buy tickets for the Nutcracker and take the whole family to the Nutcracker. We could watch it together. I immediately started having flashbacks of this big rat chasing kids around. I was like, oh, I don't want to see that again. And so I tried to convince her. I said, well, you know, gosh, those tickets are kind of expensive. I'm not sure we want to make that investment. You know, why don't you take the girls? You can have like a girl date and that, a mother-daughter date, and that'll be a lot of fun. And John and I can stay home watch football and, and by the way you know when my parents forced me to go to the nutcracker for 12 years in a row I built a bit of a resentment against ballet so let's not do that to John <laughs> my, my wife went with it and that was awesome and so she bought the tickets just three uh, so she might take the girls to the ba- to see the nutcracker at the civic center well the day of the show came and and uh well she got sick Sarah did and so she said sweetie you're gonna have to take the girls <laughs> to the nutcracker I said oh man But I love my daughters, and when you love someone, you'll take them. And so we went to the show, and sure enough, my wife had spent some money to get some really good tickets right in the middle section, right there in the middle. And so we sat down together. But wouldn't you know it? About 30 minutes into the show, both of my daughters fell fast asleep. They were both leaning up against my shoulders, both of their heads were on my shoulders. Very cute scene, but I I felt like I was pinned. (laughs) I had nowhere to go. I had to sit through the nutcracker. I was like, oh man, not again. When you love someone dearly and deeply, you love what they love, you'll do anything for them. Our God loves us so deeply, so dearly, that he would do anything for us. You see that at the cross of Christ. I love what Brennan Manning, that American prophet, says, God loves us so much that he would rather die than be without us. God loves us so much that he would rather die than be without us. So our love for God is compelled by God's love for us. He first loved us. And our love for neighbor is compelled by our love for God because we want to love what he loves. But we need to notice that in the second commandment, it says that we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. The implication is that we will in fact love ourselves. But I know that not everyone loves themselves. Many people today would well, they wish that they were thinner, or maybe they were prettier, or maybe they were taller or more athletic. I remember when I was playing basketball in high school, I always wished that I had been taller. I have a cousin who's six seven. I was like, how did he get the tall gene? He doesn't even like basketball. I should have gotten the, the tall gene. I didn't get it. And as a freshman in high school, I had two things I didn't want. I had braces and I had acne. I did not want those things, but it was hard to get a date with both those things going on. Yeah, sometimes we don't like the way we look or who we are. Some people don't like themselves because of well, past decisions they've made. They live in a lot of guilt over past sins or past failures or past mistakes. And they've allowed the rejection of others or the failures of the past to form their identity rather than the love, the unconditional love of God. The good news of the gospel is that God loves us because he loves us, not because of anything we've done that's deserving of love. In fact, as Paul states in his letter to the house churches in Rome, and as I quoted earlier in the service in Romans chapter five, verse eight, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't die for us because we were holy or somehow we were getting it right. No, Jesus died for us because he loves us and he demonstrated the full extent of his love. Jesus doesn't love us this much. He loves us this much. There is no greater love than the the unconditional, sacrificial love of Christ who's willing to die for each one of us. And it's that love that that compels us to, to be here today. We're here to thank God for how much he loves us, for all that he's done for us. And ultimately, it's that love that, that compels us to give back to God out of gratitude for all that God has already done for us. You know, one of the things I, I love about the Grow campaign is it gives us an opportunity to be generous, just as God has been generous to us. We know just how much God has been generous to us, for we read about it in John three sixteen. Say it with me if you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Our God is a generous God. As we, re- as we seek to be generous back to God, we, we reflect the generous nature of our God as we, as we give back to God. And-, and we know in Psalm 24, verse 1, that all that we have is ultimately a gift from God. For the scriptures tell us in Psalm 24, verse 1, David says that everything on earth is the Lord's, for he created all of it, everything. So we are simply stewards of God's stuff. And as we give back to God, out of gratitude for what he's done for us, God is ultimately glorified. And like the little boy who took his five barley loaves and two fish and gave it to Jesus, God is able to take what we give and he's able to, to use it to minister to so many, many more. It's this grow campaign that's gonna allow us to minister to so many, many more. Not just the youth from our church who attend our ANO and program as we build a new youth a house. It's not just for those youth. It's actually for the youth within the city of Amarillo, all who come who will be invited to, to be a part of what they're doing there. Entering into a fraternity house that looks a lot more uh, comfortable to a de-churched or an unchurched kid rather than our neo-Gothic style building. We also are going to have host mission teams from around the country who can come and stay in our a house while they help us serve the city together through local missions. This campaign is not just about us, as you know. We're giving an additional 10%. The construction cost is five million. We're going to tithe on top of that and give five hundred thousand dollars in addition to the five million for construction costs. That's why the budget's five point five million. We're going to give five hundred thousand dollars to help with local and, and global missions. Specifically, we're going to use that money to help purchase a, a home in San Jacinto community, where it might be used as a mission house for. For missionaries like our own Orlando Lopez, who works with Wildlife, which is the middle school version of Young Life, and he might have a a mission house in San Jacinto as he ministered to the kids there. Or Kim Zimmer, our local missionary, who works with Sparrow Ministries, and she helps uh, families in the San Jacinto community navigate through the social welfare programs that our church already offers. And of course, this money is also going to be used overseas as well. We're going to use that money and give it to to our missionary, Greg Hurst, who's in La Paz, Bolivia. So they might finish out some Sunday school rooms. You may remember eight years ago, we did a refurbishing campaign. And it allowed that extra money that we tithed on that campaign allowed us to build the sanctuary for his global church in La Paz, Bolivia. Now they're building Sunday school rooms. We're going to help them finish that out. Or, or some of this money is also going to go, this tithe money is going to go to the Callison family who are ministering to Muslims in northern Iraq because they have a house to be refurbished to help minister and have a permanent ministry house among the Kurds in Iraq. And finally, some of that mission money is going to go to Alan Meenan, a long-time pastor here, so that with his international ministry, the word is out, which started in this church over 20 years ago. That international ministry will be able to have a training center in Zambia, Africa. It's one of the best ways we can love our neighbor well. is by, by being generous, reflecting the generous nature of our loving God. It's this campaign, the Grow campaign, really isn't about a building. The Grow campaign, it's really about discipleship. It's about creating space where young people from all over Amarillo can gather together for fellowship and ultimately to hear the good news of God's love for them so that their life might be forever changed. This campaign is about discipleship as we, we host teams from all over the country to stay in our a and house, mission teams who might serve our city together and reflect the love of Christ so that they too might help us make disciples around the city. This campaign is about discipleship where we help our missionaries make disciples of Jesus in the context where God has called them, like for the, Greg Hurst, who's in Bolivia, or the Calisans in Iraq, or Alan Meenan in Zambia, or Orlando Lopez and Kim Zimmer in San Jacinto. This Grow Across Generation campaign is really not about a building. It's about pointing others to the unconditional, sacrificial love of Christ by giving generously to create space where young people can come and hear the good news of God's love, about making our church more handicap accessible so that anyone can come into our sanctuary and easily hear the good news about God's love. Yes, I believe the best way we can love our neighbor well is by pointing them to the unconditional love of God that we find in Jesus Christ. And that's what this campaign is really all about. It's about pointing people to Jesus. It's about making disciples of Jesus. Please join us you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your great love for us. And out of your love, Lord, we, we, we overflow. and we We're compelled to, to love our neighbor and to love ourselves as you have loved us. We know, Lord, that you are a very generous God. And so we, we give out of gratitude for all that you've already given to us. Lord, help us to reflect that generosity. And Lord, over the next two weeks, may we prayerfully listen to what you have to say about what you're calling each one of us to give because we know it'll take all of us to reach the goal you've set for us. Oh God, I pray you might guide and lead our prayer time, that we might give out of gratitude for all you've done for us, that we might continue to be a church that commits to making disciples of all generations to the glory of your name. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ and all God's people said, amen. Amen.